Hi. Uh, so I'm going to read something that one person has read before because it is what I'm calling a found story. This is my side of a text message exchange that took place over a road trip in February 2012 when I left here as a resident but went and did some things and then came back to work. Um, and this is just my side. It's almost completely unedited besides typos and I even left in some pieces that you can tell there's somebody on the other end. So I'm calling it Found Story, February 2012. February 3rd, 2012, 1.33 p.m. 200 miles down, 300 to go. God damn, this is a long drive for someone with so much to think about. February 3rd, 2012, 1.46 p.m. Other stats from the drive so far. Gagging episodes, five. Coffees, three. Roadside crying jags, one. On the upside, my door unfroze once I got a little south, and I just ate a great and long-awaited fried egg. So I'm calling this first leg a win. <laughs> February 3rd, 2012, 5.28 p.m. Stats for the drive, part two of three, 350 miles down, 150 to go. Shots of espresso, six. Cold drinks spilled up my left sleeve, one. Cold drinks spilled down my right leg, 0.5. Near-death experiences on the Tappan Zee Bridge, one. Startlingly painterly vistas, two. Times I yelled aloud at pianos for being emotionally manipulative instruments, three. <laughs> Truly bizarre public restroom experiences, too. I'm soggy limbed, a little sore in the ankle, and I almost peed myself in traffic a few minutes back, but I'm also roaringly caffeinated, so let's call this segment a draw. <laughs> February 3rd, 2012, 6.53 p.m. Not sure I can bring myself to get back in my car. Maybe I can sleep here and try again tomorrow, here being a rest stop Sunoco, naturally. February 3rd, 2012, 8.27 p.m. Arrival. My mom wanted to meet me at a restaurant right by the highway. I walked in, kissed her hello, and then bolted straight up because, whoa, Friday, Philly, late happy hour, about 400 times the number of bodies and decibels I can safely handle right now. I feel like I just blew a fuse. I will, but first I'm going to go drink absinthe with my brother. P.S. Thanks for following my drive. It definitely helped me get here. February 4th, 2012, 9.36 a.m. Last night, I stood out for a long time watching a loose weave of clouds lattice the face of the moon. This morning, I took a walk in Valley Forge Park. I saw a white dog in a pink argyle sweater and a brown one in a russet cape. And the way that things stood leafless against the pallet night sky hit me like news. I think I may have new eyes. February 4th, 2012, 8.31 p.m. Such an ear-wearying day. My whole face is tired from listening to how everyone feels about my life. If you have any good Netflix suggestions for someone with a family-melted brain, please don't hesitate. February 4th, 2012, 9.16 p.m. Because I know you're dying to know, I'm going with police adjective, an allegorical-sounding Romanian cop movie 
that apparently hinges on an exegesis of the definitions of the words justice and conscience. <laughs> February 5th, 2012, 11.32 a.m. That movie was narcotic. <laughs> I woke up sitting upright at 6.45, not knowing what the hell. Things I've been thinking about since. Connection between acoustics and emotions. Chimpanzees. The size of mountain the 11 million pounds of potato chips Americans consume on Super Bowl Sunday would make. Whether it's feasible to never go downstairs again. February 5th, 2012, 8.14 p.m. Ha! Reluctantly and late. Just got back from my mom's birthday dinner slash glow stick dance party. <laughs> now sitting forlornly in my parked car to avoid the footballness permeating the house. I'm very idly rooting for your mega conglomerate to win, but I'd rather do anything else in the whole world than watch it happen. February 6th, 2012, 7.49 p.m. I keep sitting outside my mom's in my car. I'm spending at least two hours a day like this. It's the only way I can be alone. The house is just too fucking small. Once I'm here, though, all I want is to be with someone else. This morning, I made eye contact with an injured fox as it dragged itself across the road. Later, I watched a hydraulic excavator run the flat of its toothed maw back and forth and forth and back across a low ridge, pushing insistently against the dirt again and again like a clumsy lover. Right now, I'm on a hill overlooking the same thrumming coven of radio towers that have filled the night horizon here for as long as I can remember. And I can't shake the feeling that if I tried to speak, my voice would come out sounding like a violin. February 7th, 2012, 9.37 p.m. It was so super good to hang with Becky and Micah today. It's bizarre the way your brain encodes time when you're in strange waters. Tomorrow I'm meeting Jess for lunch in Baltimore on the way to D's. Last night and today, Colin's been texting about my Richmond plans. I'm so dread-filled about seeing him. Currently, I'm preparing myself for the possibility of vomiting on site. P.S. If you guess that I'm texting you from my car, you win $10. <laughs> February 8, 2012, 5.04 p.m. I've always been smitten by the geometry of the highway, the corrugated infinities of guardrails and medians, the asymptotic slice of a good bridge over whatever curves beneath. I'm hypnotized by the regular repeating arc of light poles at the edge of the blacktop and the way the cars braid the lanes beneath the repetitious power gridding of a railway freight station, Hitchcockian road sign bird roosts, even the stiff or chowdered bodies of the cats or raccoons or possums or deer that happen to meet a macadam's demise thanks to some indifferent tire or fender. It's all part of a particular ramshackle, trance-stamped American exquisite. <laughs> Someday I want to see the whole country this way. February 8th, 2012, 10.14 p.m. I think I'm chickening out on Richmond tomorrow. The amount of gagging I've been doing today seems like its own justification for postponement. I've been a mess since I left Jess, nauseated and whatever. I sat in my car for 90 minutes after I got to D's just freaking out. I'll see how I feel in the AM, but my tentative new plan is to go to Seth's tomorrow. 
and hit Richmond on my way back to D's next week. February 9th, 2012, 6.45 p.m. Seth's thrilled about me deciding to shoot a gun, by the way. And he took my preemptive fuck off about my life speech like the good sport and great friend he is. February 10th, 2012, 4.41 p.m. Just shot a rifle a little and a handgun a lot. <laughs> really pretty awesome. <laughs> I am impressed, Seth, with my hold and my aim. I dig it except for the deadliness. I feel so surprised by myself. I shot something that could kill something with my own hands. I feel simultaneously more scared and more understanding about them now. Them being guns, not my own hands. February 11th, 2012, 12.33 p.m. Went out to some Asian fusion place last night where the bartender reminded us of a long lost friend from freshman year we somehow managed to Google find from our iPhones at the bar. Turns out he's a lawyer now, and bald. The last time I saw him, he was running naked through a dorm with a banana nestled lengthwise in his ass crack on a dare. He still had a lot of hair then. After dinner, we went to see A Dangerous Method. Cronenberg does Freud and Jung and Artfully Genteel FM. Kira Knightley's splutter and jut performance was too much for me. I felt embarrassed for us both. I startled into consciousness in the middle of the night again, this time feeling I was being suffocated. And in fact, I was. The bike patch on the seam of the arrow bed I was sleeping on had wriggled loose, and in its deflating, I was smothered by a tangle of blankets and felt-covered vinyl. It took my sleep brain too long to puzzle out the circumstance, and by the time I unfurled myself, I was breathless and the worst kind of awake. While I caught my breath, I watched the treetops sharpen in the waking light, trying to steady in time with their swaying. February 11th, 2012, 6.08 p.m. Almost impulse adopted a Rottweiler puppy named Brickhouse this afternoon. February 12th, 2012, 11.22 p.m. Richmond tomorrow, drunk tonight, <laughs> dreading everything. <laughs> February 14th, 2012, 9.26 p.m. It's done. Saw Colin, got my stuff. He wasn't home when I arrived, but I of course still had my key. The apartment felt like a place I'd never been. I shoved all my socks and underwear and pants and shirts and hoodies into the two huge blue suitcases I'd squashed my life into once before when we moved to Germany. I took the Nespresso machine and my favorite baby frying pan. He showed up as I was heaving the bags onto the back porch. He touched my face and said, it's you, and I have no idea whether I flinched. We had a coffee. At one point, we held hands, mostly out of confusion, I think. When I pulled away, he waved goodbye, and nothing felt like anything, or everything felt like something else. FYI, I did in fact throw up. But at the end of the encounter, right into the kitchen sink, not my proudest moment, I left it for him to clean up. Thank you, Ryan. Um, before I get started, I just want to say thank you for this community. Um, John and Louise for really starting a space and welcoming a space to artists. It's really incredible. 
when I first came here in four years ago, I wanted to be back, and now I can't imagine leaving. And so I'm, I've already promised several of you that I am coming back. I don't know in what capacity, <laughs> but I will be back. <laughs> Visiting artists, yeah. No, um, so, uh, but I also want to make want um, the staff here. All of you have all helped me in so many ways of support, and in um, all kinds of support, including love. You've come and traded clothes with me. You mended clothes with me. You've been my roommates. You've um, driven me from the airport. <laughs> uh, you go to Burlington for a movie, <laughs> and uh, you go you go do so many things for me as not just as an artist, but also just as a friend and family. And I say thank you to all of the staff members and the larger community here in Johnson have all been supportive towards um, my time here. So we still got two weeks, y'all. Y'all ain't got rid of me yet. <laughs> so, uh, as Ryan mentioned, I have been uh, using my time here to finish up edits on my first poetry collection, which is called Tapping Out. And I feel like I got a really good draft done during my time here. And um, it's centered, it's main kind of theme is Lucha Libre, which is Mexican wrestling, which I became a really big fan of when I was living in Mexico. Um, the collection explores a lot of other themes, but I decided I'm just going to talk about the sport today. So you guys are going to hear like a lot of violence. Okay, you're going to have to get over that. But um, also, um, there's one poem in here that is a little, that is not directly related to it, but it, it's very important to the collection, and that's language, so I'll get to that. Um, so, let's start it off. Great match. This is a quote from Rey Mysterio, who is one of my favorite wrestlers. You want to say, take it easy, I'm giving you my body. Instead, you suck it up. Great match. After the match, say thank you, or nice work out there, or my God, where'd you get those moves? Don't lose your balance. Don't topple, gather your body like a sack of cramped muscles and bones. Though your arms drag like a ton of ground meat, keep your fists extended through the air. Soft punch the others, wiggle a two or three step dance as if you've just sprung into the ring. Don't talk about your knees cartilage or that you're afraid of the unraveling sound cracking through your shoulders each time you springboard from the third rope. Even if your neck opens, and your head hangs by fibrous threads, say thank you. Great match. So one of the caveats, people get really excited about the mask, but one of the caveats of um, Lucha Libre is that there are, there are the regular matches that um, people tend to think of as planned, and then there are these that we call uh, Lucha de Apuesta, and that's when you actually put something on the line, when you bet something. Um, and that's how you can lose your mask. But you can also lose your hair if you're not a masked wrestler, or you can lose something else if you're like fighting a really big rival like your house or your woman even. It's crazy. <laughs> um, it's stupid. Some, and, and actually at one point, women get into it too and like they bet some crazy things, but one of the craziest ones was like, try, uh, like they bet electric shock. <laughs> it's like, okay, that has to go in a poem. Okay, so how not to lose the mask. Apuestas. This is for Pedro Arrayo, who lost his life this year in the ring. 
um, this uh, earlier this spring. How not to lose a mask up with us. The bet is mask for mask. This losing fight gives this losing fighter gives up his hair, and the winner gives gets to shave it off. My money for your car, his house for your dressing room. She who loses will work as a servant for the winner, drowning for electric shock. And when there's nothing on the line, everything is on the line. The possibility of the last lace of cartilage in his elbow may give. One too many hits shatters her knee. Most lucky wrestlers will lose mobility in two places and others, three broken vertebrae, a trip to the hospital, and no memory of the last breath sip slipping from their chest. If I take you down, you may have my wife or my first son, blood, ears, air, but will you lose the memory of your grandmother's face? How to tie a knot? The digits of your address? What do we win? Apuestas for apuestas. A wandering walk in a new suburb trying to name all familiar and foggy things. So. But it's not real, it's all for show. Because people always ask me about that. It's got some fake things. I'll admit that, but the, the blood is not fake. So I, you know, it's all for show. Faking it, I've taken my teeth to a man's brow, thrust my brute into a fallen fighter. I, I forge no fake calluses. Two molars, a fractured rib, a sprained finger in 99. I mastered the skill of convincing the body to resist the performance of injury. Temple to ankle, I risked back-breaking planks of each grating joint, laid my legs under my opponent's whims. Every man controls planned pain, the reversal takedown pen. But when a doctor pulled a torn ligament three inches down my thigh to attach it back to my knee, I couldn't coax my stunted walk into something smooth or cool. There's no pretending that my steps down the entrance ramp aren't vexed by the tricky pull and snap of my back. The smoke calling up my bootleg is so real, my tight neck so much more. Call the match. So this is another answer to those that think that it is fake. It is fake sometimes. And um, sometimes you get instructions on what you're supposed to do because it is a performance. And so call the match. When he pins your shoulders to the mat, you'll use all your limbs to throw his hold. Whip your legs around his torso. Scissor him down. The crowd might cheer. They might heckle. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Harlan. <laughs> Dun -dun -dun. All right. <laughs> Call the match. <laughs> when he pins your shoulders to the mat, you'll use your limbs to throw his hold. Whip your legs around his torso. Scissor him down. The crowd might cheer. They might heckle. Cigarette smoke will curl into the spotlights, and the small room will feel like you're guaranteed win. None of this matters. You're supposed to lose. 
After you backbend his body, you will take a headbutt. He will launch you from the ring into the stands. You will fall flat-faced. Your twisted body will feel like it's knotted ache. Make it look good. Let him win. Refuse to get up. Listen for the low hiss of breath escaping your chest. It will feel like a tornado churning between your ribs. In a different fight, in a different city, in a different ring, you will make another man plead through the calls. But tonight, you'll taste salt. You'll taste the metal in your own bloody lips. When he slams your forehead to a, into a bleacher, lay there, open mouth, shocked even. If, as if this is not the plan, fold to pain, submit to the job, fall. A boy in the second row will launch potato chips into your face. A wrinkled woman might call you coward, though they, though they know, though they know your body, the arena, and their seat in your world are a false framework. Each fantastic spectator will swarm the ring, demanding you perform the calls. The crowd will hate you. The crowd will love the choreography of the takedown. The crowd will go home satisfied. Losing the Mask. Um, these are, it's a two-voice poem. One in the Luchador, and the second part is in, masca is in the voice of the mas mask, mascara. Losing the Mask. One, and Luchador. When the lace loosened and gave, a cool air and calm hit my face. The ring's gasp clogged my ears. Not silent, not chaos. It was as if I mangled my hand on a job. I lost my face, placed my creased grin into my audience's palms. Losing my mask was having my torso ripped out. Then I offered it, still trembling to the winner. My face, my exposed veins pumping over my forehead. I was no lazy factory worker losing my thumb under a neglected power saw. Not a chef cutting too quickly at a raw carrot. I lost. I put on a good face, my face. I dragged the rest of my body through the arena, through warm back halls to my locker, pulled my arms in, into my shirt and tugged at the buckle of my belt. I dressed my body in plain clothes. I broke. Two, la mascara. Before I let go, before they part me open, before they pull you head first out of me and hand me over to a man who will take me and hang me, before I become a sparkling medallion, a memory, a relic of slaughter, you have got to loosen all the strings. You will always have hair, boots, and tape. In a year, you can go to a mall or a grocery store. You can walk through the dust of a market and everyone will know the bottom lips and callous forehead I have kept so long inside. Mijo, before I let go of your face, someone will have to rip me apart. And this is the last poem that is not, well, one more poem before the last poem. So people ask me why I'm into this. So uh, I tried to answer it with this poem. <laughs> On Becoming a Fan. 
Don't blame masks. Blame smoke. Blame the tricky sorcery of shiny boots, capes, and props. Blame spandex's tight grip on wrestler's thighs. When swollen biceps of masked men slap canvas, how like broken toys their bodies become, each one proffering his limbs to the other. And we, their spectators, hooked under pain's smelly spell. We cannot resist wanting sweat and blood. We rouse like tiny rioters, wave our fists, curse the winner, blame the winning wrestler, how he radiates center stage, how he performs his own ascension up ropes, his thick arms hot and throbbing. Blame his left foot poised top turnbuckle. Blame his hand on waist pose or the brain crowd or the thud his legs make as he falls, hacking down on his opponent's waiting chest. Don't blame masks. Blame spicy pork rinds and their vendors. Blame bikini-clad women with corona and tecate splayed across their ass and tits. Can boys be blamed for imitating their fathers lean, leaning in the, at their chairs, tipped edge, praying for his man, sorry, praying his man clobbers the other guy? I blame a fourth grade shoving match with my sister. My forehead turned hot by an early June sun. I hadn't understood how anger, like a hot spring, boils at the belly's core until its hostile vapor clenches fists. I never tried to weigh muscle against meat. Never had to throw a punch. I blame the thin hush an audience becomes as bone-tired men stumble into their musty dressing rooms. How their faces elude us. Each match, the windswept dirt under the feet of 10-year-old onlookers, they're cheering for my sister's grip. Blame the swirl marble buttons of school uniforms, then possibly long rate for recess. Blame the purple blooming bruise sketched at the breaststroke of her hands. I have not thrown a punch since. I wish I had bright sparkling fabric hidden under my dress shirt. Blame the seams of a practice persona into which we've all neatly wrapped our arms. Blame the seamstress who sewed this mask and cut all the loose threads. This arena is a site for unveiling, my locale for loosening the strings. And so um, a lot of the poems have Spanish somewhere in them, and so um, it's kind of hard to do that to talk in the language that I understand, which is very bilingual, and so um, this is just uh, a poem that tries to get at the relationship with language. Words between us. In each sentence, I turn over what I mean to say, but my words are undercut by my body. I say, I am here, lover. I love, I, 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 amigo, magico, amor, for you, I translate a dream. Bungandilia, flor, tumbling from my elbows and knees. I am always undoing the language of my body. My arms, my hair say, black, dark, English only. You grab the sounds in my fingers. You hang a flat fish from my teeth. No, these are our words rendered in our kitchen on our balcony at night. 
I say, Ken, you see skin, we are a lake of how do I say, and si sabes lo que es. Then my body says, no, 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 la, 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 la. This assemblage of words and body tightens into bad blood. Still, I mouth them, a litany of words, luz, amoada, labios. They shadow windows, dwell in the spacious folds of our bed linen. I've seen you stumble over my warped words. You rub them gently between two fingers. Some nights, while night birds cackle in the streets, when you think sleep has wrapped my head in its heavy blanket, I see how you place my O on your tongue. Okay. So I wanted to read these, these last three pieces. Um, two of them are a little long, I'm going to warn you. Um, they're part of, they're, they're probably the most recent pieces that I've been working on. Um, they're in response to um, a lot of the a lot of the incidences of violence towards black and brown bodies that we've seen in the media lately. Um, I've been trying to figure out how it affects uh, how it's affecting me watching it in a place where I'm very remote and. Um, the community is always changing, and so thinking about how to how to resolve that, but also thinking about how it creates a kind of psychological disorder within our American family. Um, and when I say American family, I mean basically any. If you're in America, and you're in, if you're in the United States, you're in this American family. And so I've been developing these things called American Family of Syndrome, and uh, so. I just wanted to show you what they kind of look like. On the side is a description of the syndrome, and then on the other side is a voice of someone who might be dealing with the syndrome. So that's why it might be the first one's going to be a little long, and then the other one's not as long. The other one won't be as long, and the other one is not. So, so American Family of Syndrome, Early Death Syndrome, Terminal Illness. Upon learning the short life expectancy of men and women from his or her community, a patient suffering from EDS embraces the inevitability of an early death. Usually signs of EDS exhibit in black males and females ranging from ages 10 to 35. Early symptoms include testing the limitations of pain by engaging in suicidal activities, such as dislocating joints out of sockets, jumping from rooftops, and or participating in backyard mixed martial arts competitions. These activities are generally followed by an unhealthy consumption of processed food and insomnia. In many cases, a patient imagines his or her limbs disappearing and reappearing. Most patients have been known to whisper to friends and families they are already gone. Almost all have experienced dreams depicting their own death and or funeral. Patients express debilitating survival behaviors such as distrust of all strangers and a feeling of constant endangerment. At the same time, the knowledge of an early demise causes fearless behavior. Some might stand in close proximity to moving traffic or consume poisonous substances. In most common cases, patients violently provoke others suffering from the same illness. Where, where patients express feelings of denial, which leads to avoidant personality disorder, otherwise known as hermit complex. Unfortunately, Neither denying nor provoking early death has proven to be resourceful in the treatment of the fatal disease. 
Almost all patients find their demise under the following circumstances. Mistaken identity by law enforcement. Violence inflicted by a member of, the pri of private security. Self-inflicted wounds or lethal assault by private citizens. Inevitably, this is in its final stage of taking over the body. All patients suffering from this illness utter the following statements moments before passing away. I can't breathe. Why are you treating me like this? I didn't do anything wrong. Please stop. You're hurting me. EDS. Remember that time they found Cousin Rosa on the east side carjacking some woman? Said she stepped right in front of a silver caprice, pulled a frightened lady out of her car like a rag. Remember how her daughter had to go down to the precinct, had to explain that her mother got them voices? Remember her brother, that slim shell of a boy, how he put three bullets in her mother, then left himself shot and dead in the drive? Coward, Uncle Otha called him. Devil said, Mama. Hyperparanoid schizophrenic bipolar disorder, say the docs. And remember that girl he loved? How she heard, when she heard, she dropped all her body, rubber band legs and horse shoulders, dropped them all in the middle of the den like a sack of oranges. Remember how the whole family came to the cemetery to put the mother and the son in the ground? How Rosa refused to buy a coffin, said she'd rather build boxes from the planks of her picket fence, said each board carried the sound of her family's southern snared grief, each of her dead mesh in the wood grain. And who hasn't seen death, that ruthless engineer, stack the bricks of his rickety house, one broken brain on top of another? Rosa's uncle took his wife by knife, and cousin Robert still hold a bullet in his back from when his mother tried and failed. Death can be relentless with his building, can he? You remember Rosa in the street, screaming down at that woman, something about the car, or was it something about her brother? I mean, my granddad, or was it my aunt, or was it me, or... This is a mixture one, so. Blood washer syndrome. A temporary disorder. As a result of watching a video recording of a police killing five times in one day, a blood washer's patient, usually a father, develops an unexplainable urge to wash sidewalks. In the early stages, patients spend prolonged moments looking at the floor or their feet. Though blood washer syndrome begins in different ways depending on the patient, the disease is fully initialized when the patient finds himself in a trance-like state heading outside to look at the sidewalk. His movements become methodical. He will start at a corner end of a street, rinse a square of sidewalk, apply detergent, rinse the second, rinse the section, then continue to the next section. During this lapse, patients do not pause for food, water, or bathroom breaks. Not to be confused with coffin maker syndrome, blood washers patients intermittently repeat, blood, 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 there's so much blood on the walk. Symptoms can be exhibited hours or days. Oftentimes, after the lapse dissolves, subjects are unaware that they have been under the blood washers trance. Many feel disoriented and nausea when the trance breaks. If early signs of the blood washer syndrome are exhibited in a possible patient's behavior, it is best to avoid late night television, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter for two weeks. Ultimately, it is best for the patient to submit himself to a psychological observation for 48 hours or until the symptoms subside. Blood, 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 there is so much blood on the walk. Blood, 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 there is so much blood on the walk. Blood, 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 there is so much blood on the walk. Blood, 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 there is so much blood on the walk. Blood, 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 there is so much blood on the walk. 